Hey everyone, this is Josh, co-founder of Urban Valor. Welcome to another episode of the Urban Valor podcast. Our guest today is Marine veteran Navardo Gonzalez. Navardo grew up in Long Beach, California. He wasn't interested in college, so he enlisted into the Marine Corps as an infantry rifleman. Navardo conducted two combat deployments during his enlistment. During one of those deployments, he and his unit were met with intense combat after occupying a Taliban stronghold known as the Greenhouse. Navardo leaves us with how his experience in the military changed his life and what he's doing to keep a healthy mental state of mind. If you enjoy this episode, go give us a five-star rating and leave a comment to help support our veterans. The bigger the community, the bigger the impact. If you'd like to contribute your story to Urban Valor and know anyone else who may, reach out to us on Instagram at Urban Valor TV, or you can email us at team at urbanvalor.com. Enjoy the show. So my name is Navardo Gonzalez. I served from 2010 to 2014. Served in the Marine Corps and I got out as a corporal. So I was an 0311. I was a grunt out with uh, 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines. So I'm from Long Beach. I was born in LA, South Central LA, but I was, uh, I grew up in Long Beach, North Long Beach pretty much my whole life. Uh, um, and then first grade, that's when uh, I had this dude, this young kid trying to bully me. And, um, you know, I, I told my dad about it and he told me, hey, well, tell your teacher, you know. And, I told the teacher she didn't do anything about it. So, you know, he told, I told my dad again, he's like, Hey, you know what? You need to defend yourself. And that's like one of the first things that I, I remember from elementary school. Like, you know, I almost wanted that permission from my dad. Like, said, like, it's okay if I like beat this kid's ass, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, sure enough, one of the days he tried to, he tried to bully me again and, um, he was chasing me around the playground and I just turned around and I just smacked him in the mouth. It's like that age where your teeth are loose. You know, I don't think I was that strong to like knock his tooth out, but your teeth are loose already. And um, I just turned around and swung at him in the mouth. And we're wearing white uniform shirts with blue shorts and blue pants. So like when I smacked him, like his teeth flew out and I just see blood gushing and like his white shirt's just full of blood. And I'm like scared, you know, I'm like, damn, what did I just do? I run to the back of the bungalows to hide. It was like during recess and I'm just hiding like, Everybody goes away after the bells ring and then my class come out and they're like looking for me, looking for this kid's tooth. And, um, I ended up getting suspended in first grade for that. And then, uh, then the next year, surprisingly, we had the same classroom again, same teacher, same classroom, me and the same kid. He tried to bully me again. And, uh, he had like a little pocket knife that he brought to school once. And, um, there was like loose gravel on the, on the, on the floor. And I picked up a rock and threw it at his head. Same exact kid, um, again, another prom, and I threw it at his head, and I think I gushed him, or he got a bruise in the head, and um, again, got sent to the office, and got suspended. I was going to get expelled from the, from, the, from the school district, but, you know, they, they gave me another chance, and that was kind of my, my first few things that I remember um, in elementary school, senior year in high school, when one of my buddies was missing from school for about a week. And then when he came back to LA, what's, what's going on, bro? What are you doing? Why were you gone or whatever? And he told me how he was, you know, enlisting into the Marine Corps. And from the moment that he told me, he didn't even try to convince me or anything. It just was like, oh shit. It was like that seed that was planted in my head. And I was like, damn, that sounds pretty badass, you know? All right. I definitely don't like school. I've been going to school for the last 12, 13 years. I know it's not something I want to continue doing at this point. Um, you know, I had been working since I was 12, so I knew like going and getting a full-time job at that time. It was like, you know, I think the Marine Corps is a job at the same time and it, I could also make a career. So 
And I, you know, I knew that if I was gonna join the service, it definitely had to be the Marine Corps. Boot camp was cool, man. Um, I did the best that I could. I was always pretty physically fit. Uh, I was one of the faster runners there. Um, you know, in the Marine Corps, they do a PFT, which is a physical fitness test. Um, they grade it out of three different categories. It's like uh, running, running three miles under 18 minutes. That's a uh, hundred points there. Doing 20 pull-ups, each pull-up is worth five points. That's a hundred points there. And then I think it's like 50 or 100 crunches, whatever the hell it is, under yeah. a minute or two. Um, so I was always able to get a 300 PFT, which made me stand out even a little bit more. Um, but I was always still a little belligerent, you know, still kind of had some of that hood in me from Long mm-hmm. Beach and just trying to be a smart ass sometimes, you know, like, and then thinking I was like a tough guy. But then I realized very quickly, like, that's not going <laughs> to, you're not going to win in with using those ways here, you know, but... I feel like some of the drill instructors, they kind of liked it, you know, like they liked that little personality of like, this yeah. kid's like a little hard ass, you know, and they wanted to fuck with you even more because of it. Right. You know? Second phase up in Camp Pendleton, uh, lights, 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 you know, they shut off the lights and everybody's supposed to go to bed. Shortly after they turn off the light, the drill instructors turn off the lights. I just shouted from the back of the barracks, like, good night, sir. You know, just told him good night. <laughs> That shit was dumb. Uh, he like, he like turned around like, who the fuck said that? You know, obviously everybody just quiet and he heard where it came from. He snuck up like behind me and just like grabbed me by the ear. And he's like, did you tell me good night, bitch? <laughs> and I was like, no, sir. He's like, yeah, I'm fucking right. Stand the fuck by tomorrow, you know? It was fucking hilarious, bro. I was just an asshole, you know? And the next day we were out in the shooting range at the rifle qual and I was down in the pits, you know, putting up the, the targets and shit. And um, he's down there looking for my ass, finds me, he grabs a five gallon jug, water jug, and he takes me away from my assignment and then he takes me out. Just starts giving me a fucking little lecture about, you know, discipline and shit so he has me fill up this five gallon jug just like this holding my arm parallel to the deck and i fill it up all the way like it's like this little button that you have to like press with both of your he had me do it with both of your fingers you could obviously do it differently to fuck me up because i'm applying pressure with my two fingers and only my two fingers because that's what he told me and my hands parallel to the deck it's a five gallon jug, you know, I'm a skinny dude, bro. Like I'm not that strong. So like after a while, once that shit starts getting filled, my arms start shaking and shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, fuck yeah, I'm almost done. Get this shit over with. I'm gonna fill it up and go. I filled it up and he's like, dump it. And like, do that shit again. Ugh. Bro, he had me out there for like 30, 45 minutes. Like I felt like my fucking arm was gonna fall off, you know, it just <laughs> hates the fuck out of me. And I was one, he was one of the guys that would fuck with me a lot more. I forget his, his last name. But yeah, that shit was funny. I would always smile too, just because I always thought some shit was funny that they did. One time I smiled and he's like, okay, good bitch. You want to smile? Stand in front of the line right here and just smile. And I was just like in front of the line, like these, all these recruits and shit passing by and I'm just like smiling. And he's like, smile big fucker. Like, like my fucking cheeks were hurting, bro. He had my ass smiling for like 25 minutes straight. I'm like, like, you know, that's a shit in boot camp. It's like, you don't understand how like something so small could be so painful if you do it for a long enough time. Yeah. Like smiling. Mm-hmm. Smile for fucking 30 minutes. Like literally hold your smile for 30 minutes. Like <laughs> Your fucking cheeks will feel like they're falling off, you know? Yeah. So shit like that. I mean, it was funny shit. Nah, once you kind of got used to the rhythm and the culture in boot camp and you just need to stay the fuck out of the way.
and then I thought I was hot shit. So um, this dude came in. Um, he was like a master sergeant, came from recon country, and he just gave us his spiel on like you know um, a lot of the O three elevens could go and try out for uh, for recon, and he's just talking shit how it's gonna be the you know the best of the best Marines would go to recon, and he talked about how high speed it was and all this shit, and I was like, damn, that sounds badass, man. You know, I I'm gonna give it a shot. Like, at least I'm going to give it a shot so I could say I tried. Went to recon, like, literally graduated SOI, and, like, you didn't even have lunch with your family. It was like, grab your shit. We're going to recon country. Everybody else is going off on Libo, going off to their units, going to have lunch with their family for a moment. Yeah, I just said hi to my mom and dad and my family, and I grabbed my shit and then just walked over. When I was uh, at SOI, they still had the bungalows. Mm. There was, like, these bungalows. Now they have, like, a big facility. They have their own pool. It's, like, sick. Um, so we were in the bungalows, I believe they called it recon country. And then from the moment you got there, dude, you started learning the recon creed, just the haze fest just began. And I, I was in a, a group called MART, which is Marines awaiting reconnaissance training. Um, and then you go into BRC, which is the basic reconnaissance course. So I was at MART for about a week or two. And then I picked up with a BRC class. Uh, that was 2010 still right after SOI and, um, Dude, I was doing really good, man. But what would kill me was the water. Mm. Physically, I was like a beast. I mean, I would run a 300 POT, but the water would just destroy me. Like, yeah. I was always one of the, like, the last two, last three. My ego started getting hurt because I'm like, man, on land, I'm like the first, second one there to get through the runs and all the physical shit. But in the water, I was just like, I wasn't as fast of as a swimmer. I wasn't as effective. They required that you either did a side stroke or a breast stroke. I could swim like a free stroke, you know, but it's like, nah, dog, you're not doing the free stroke here. Like, yeah. it's either these two, and you're in there with fucking full camis, you know, some 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 of the exercises you had to wear, like, some of the gear. So I remember being in the pool, like, at, you know, four or five in the morning in Camp Pendleton, like, swimming with, with your, with your uh, camis on, and it just, it was, for me, it was more of a mental thing. It was more of a, a mindset thing that, like, that first uh, indoctrination that we did, um, I ran a 300 PFT and they gave me, they used to call it like the paddle. If you had the paddle, like a, a, a boat paddle, mm -hmm. you were basically like the guide, if you will. And they gave me that the first few weeks. And then um, because of me running a 300 PFT, I believe they gave, they gave me like a, a libo, like over a weekend. And I came home and um, had a good time with the family and friends back home. And I remember there was rumors going around that if you pass BRC, that a lot of those recon guys were going to go to Japan. And I was like, fuck, I don't want to go to Japan, you know, like, and then the, the pool started getting to me. So long story short, man, I lasted about three or four weeks at BRC. And then I, I decided to quit. I was swimming one morning. It was like four or five in the morning, cold as shit. And I had already kind of made my decision that I was going to quit over that weekend. Mm -hmm. And then that Monday when you get into the cold water and then, you know, you really start getting tested. I was like halfway through my 500 meter swim and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing this shit. I was like, I'm going to finish this evolution. But as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to tell these guys I'm not. <laughs> Got out of the pool, told my, my squad instructor because you have a squad instructor per squad. And he just chewed my ass out because, you know, he could see the potential, but I just wasn't willing to suffer in the pool. Then I got orders to 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines out in 29 Palms.
Mm. And that was uh, like August, early September. And then I showed up to my unit. It was like the day before the day of my birthday. My birthday is September 21st. I think I was turning, yeah, I was, I was turning 19 that, that, that day. Dude, it was the saddest day. It felt like one of the saddest days of my life. I remember it was my birthday. I'm a boot in the, in a new unit in 29 Palms, you know, um, nobody knew it was my birthday. There's no celebration. Um, I had like my roommate, my buddy Sweet. I still, he's still a good friend of mine. Um, and I kind of told him like, Hey bro, it's my birthday today at the, at the end of the fucking day, you know? <laughs> He's like, well, happy birthday, bitch. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> You're like, wow, dude, someone's celebrating me, man. <laughs> you know? All the Marines, all my, my unit was out in the field. So there was no seniors there. There was only one dude there. My buddy, he's like my best friend, Chris Merrill, Christopher Merrill. And this, he, he always just looked, uh, from the moment that I met him, he just looked very intimidated. But because he, had, he was one of the very first boots that had arrived at the unit. So he, he got fucked up like way prior than we had gotten there so he already knew how this shit was and he was like he was injured at the time so that's why they had left him back doing duty and when i met him i was like damn this, this guy, he was a lance corporal at the time i'm like this guy seems like squared away but he seems like intimidating when he talks to these other lance corporals but i didn't understand the senior lance corporal versus like the boot lance corporal you know what i'm saying i didn't understand that culture demographic within the infantry because i had just arrived i like fuck this guy he's a lance too you know um, but I learned very quickly that there's a big difference between like, quote unquote, the senior Lance corporals that have a deployment and then just like a Lance corporal that got promoted because, you know, my circumstance. That's so, <laughs> yeah. so that's why, you know, I found out like, well, that's why my boy is just kind of more quiet into himself and he's not like out there like that. Yeah. I showed up to the fleet with like a medium fade, you know, thinking I was like cool immediately, like told my ass to get it high and tight or shave my head. So then I started really butting heads with some of the, the seniors and that never worked out, you know, never worked out. Like getting into, into like talking back or anything back yeah. to some of these guys. Cause you know, they, they were the same rank. It never <laughs> worked out in my, in my favor. But one of the first things that we, that I remember like that Friday, the week that I showed up, I remember going to the armory and I just see all these fucking dudes getting off the, the seven tons, just like in dust, like covered in dust. And they're just coming back from the field in 29 Palms. I mean, the whole place is a fucking desert, you know? And I was like, who the fuck are these guys, you know? But those were, those were my seniors and some of the junior guys that had gone there before me. And they're like, who the fuck are you, bitch? All right, good, stand up, parade, rest, you know, all this shit. And, um, yeah, man, uh, you know, I was in during a time that, like, we just called it good training. You know, I think now they'll call it hazing, but it was just good training. Um, a lot of times, you know, you did something stupid, got out of line. Sometimes you didn't even do anything stupid, got out of line. And your ass was, if there was some downtime, you were in your room pushing, doing push-ups, doing sit-ups, getting tested on your knowledge, like a quick little pop quiz, like, hey, what's the max effective range of a saw? What's the max effective range of a 240? And God forbid, if you didn't know it, you stand the fuck by. Like, you're going to get hazed for at least a couple minutes, if not a few hours. Yeah. You know? They used to do this shit where they'd put, like, Clorox on the on the floors, um gas mask you know and they have you doing like wall sit-ups and shit or wall push-ups and like dudes would do that shit for so long that inhaling the, the clorox would eventually make some dudes pass out you know um make you grapple with some of your peers that, that was actually more fun than anything um 
But one that was just, that would piss me off was like, because I, I, I knew that they would test you for the knowledge, like basic infantry knowledge that you were supposed to know. Um, so I always like did my homework and I knew my shit, you know, like I knew the max effective range of an M16, an M4, uh, M249. Like I, I had all these things for the most part. Um, I understood them and I had them like muscle memory. So whenever I was asked, it was like, I just spit it out. But then it'd be, it would be whack when like you're doing pushups, you're getting hazed, this dude's asking you these questions, you're answering everything right and you're still getting punished. One like, you know, doing push-ups and this fucking dude's just like kicking me in the ribs. And in my head, it's like, bro, like, you know, if we were outside, uh, like if we weren't Marines, we would throw down right now, bro. Like you're not gonna, I wouldn't even be doing push-ups because you told me to, right? But it's just kind of like the culture. And I think if you tell anybody that's never been inside of that environment, they would be like, dude, why didn't you get up and smack that motherfucker, you know, or just fucking like fuck off. But when you're in this culture of the Marine Corps infantry, it's uh, something where like, you know, if you think you would stand up and do something, if you're there in that in, in that spot with the same kind of context and environment, it's such an intimidating feeling, even walking through those barracks as a boot, as a junior Marine. Um, when you know these motherfuckers just came back from Afghanistan like a year ago, they, they, some of these guys have seen combat, you know, some of these guys have gone on two, three, four combat deployments. We did a workup, I got there like September, so I had like a, I wanna say like a five, six month workup. Went to, back in that day, they called it uh, Mojave Viper. It's uh, pretty much like a 30 day training evolution. You do a bunch of different field operations out in 29 Palms. I think they call it ITX now or something different. But it's essentially a full 30 days of being out in the desert, being out in the field, doing range 400, range 410, squad attacks, uh, you know, battalion defense, like company defense, company assaults, a bunch of different um, infantry tactics. Uh, we deployed, I believe it was April of 2011, like early April got to, we went through uh, March Air Force Base right here, like in Moreno Valley. Mm. And then from Kyrgyzstan, we got on C-130s and we went into Afghanistan to Camp Leatherneck. We were in Garash Valley, which is south of Sangin, about 12, 13 clicks south. And we were in charge of the green zone. So we were inside of the green zone. Basically the green zone in Afghanistan is, we were right by the Helmand, we were in Helmand province. So it's the Helmand river that runs like north to south. And outside of the green zone, outside of the river is the green zone, right? Cause the, the water from the river irrigates that surrounding area. That's what's called the green zone. Um, a lot of vegetation, a lot of field, a lot of crops. And when I first got there, man, it was beautiful to be honest with you. I mean, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before, but it, you know, I grew up going to Mexico every, literally every year since I was like a, a child, you know? So a lot of the, the farming and agriculture culture reminded me of, of parts of Mexico, you know? Um, except it was totally different crops, right? Uh, when I first got there, there was poppy, a lot of poppy. I had no idea what the poppy flower was. I mean, I was just a young 19-year-old kid. Um, shortly soon found out that that's what they make uh, heroin out of, you know. Um, but if you look at the flower, it's such a beautiful flower. You, it's crazy how it's that disastrous as well. So when I first got there, every field as far as you could see was just packed of poppy, just beautiful poppy fields. And, um, like I said, I didn't understand what that, what that shit was about, but obviously that's how a lot of, you know, the Taliban 
get their resources and shit to fund their operations. And um, midway through May, we got orders from our captain, the commander, the platoon or the company commander. Uh, I was Lima Company, 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines. So uh, we got an order that we were going to go do a raid to a place called the Greenhouse. And um, the Greenhouse was, they had intel that it was kind of like an enemy stronghold. Uh, there's basically Taliban that owned that place and it was like the only house in the area that was actually made out of concrete every other building was like a mud hut right um <clears throat> so we got orders to go do a raid there my my platoon did and uh my team specifically we got um a chance to go a little bit earlier to the main cob where the battalion was at to build a what's that shit called a, a land um a terrain model so we were instructed with doing the terrain model. We had the map. We started building it out. It's like five, six of us out there just helping doing it boot top high and shit. And um, and then we 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 got the orders, got the mission, got the OSMIAC, you know, orientation situation, mission execution, admin logistics, command and signal, and um, everybody knew their roles. And we we took off. It was I believe June first or June second. And I had not seen any combat at that time. And we're, we did a cordon outside of the greenhouse, which basically means a 360 uh, degree. Everybody's around the house uh, providing security. We had the first element pushed in. They used stairs. They used uh, a ladder, my bad. They used a ladder and they got up these huge walls, probably like 12, 13 feet walls, mud hut walls. <clears throat> got in, cleared the house. No one was in there. Um, that first element moved in and then me and uh, a senior Marine, one of my seniors, we switched spots because he was really cool with my, 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 my team leader. Um, they switched spots. He switched spots with me so he could talk to him so he could be closer to him. And um, I moved behind him and then it was our turn to get up and start moving to go in, inside of the house. As we're walking in, the gate at this point is already open. There's probably a handful of Marines had already walked in. And then next thing you know, um, we're walking in, he's about to approach the big gate and he just blows up, dude, like right in front of me, like literally probably like 10 feet, 15 feet in front of me, he just blew up. I'd never seen any combat, never gotten shot at, never even seen an ID. And that's like the very first thing I saw. I believe it was June 1st or June 2nd, 2011. And honestly, I froze, man. You know, I, I just I froze. Like, there was a big cloud of smoke, 25, 30 feet in the air, and this dude just collapsed. And I thought he was dead. I'd never seen anything like that. And um, there was enough Marines inside that just came out so quickly that I didn't need to really go up and do much, you know? So I just kind of stayed put. And I was fucking terrified, man. You know, I, I had no idea you know, where it came from or how it exploded. I don't know if it was a pressure plate or pressure plate or remote controlled or pull trigger ID. Cause there's so many different types. Right. And, um, I just stayed put, started holding security. The other members of the platoon started working on them, put the, you know, the tourniquet on there, stopped the bleeding, started calling the medevac. And, um, I was fucking frozen and I started coming back too. And I'm like, dude, I'm not fucking walking unless you guys clear this shit, clear this lane, you know, clear this path, make sure there's no more IDs. We used to have these things called sickle sticks. It's basically a long ass bamboo with a hook at the end of it. And we would use them to dig up 
God forbid you hit an IED rather to hit it five, 10 feet in front of you than under your feet, right? So that was the purpose of that. And they basically did that all the way to my position. And I was like, all right, fuck it. There's hopefully no more IDs. You know, it's time to keep going. We all have to get inside of the house. I got up, I started moving in. There's an alleyway between where I'm at and the gate. And as I'm walking through that alley, the engineer, he throws a hook in there and pulls it. And it's a lower guy ID that just smokes us like in the face. I didn't get any shrapnel, but it was basically a lot of dust that just kind of smacked me in the side of the, in the face. I'm like, oh shit, it was another one. It didn't hit the main charge. Else probably the side of my face would have been fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, pushed in and uh, you know, first thing was get on the roof. Everybody was starting to hold security for four people on each corner, north, south, east, west. And uh, as soon as we got on that roof, man, bullets started flying that that was that day was like my first uh, time being shot at or like seeing anything pretty crazy so if you weren't up on the roof you know engaging the enemy you were probably filling up sandbags to start building a defensive position there so we were supposed to be there for i believe it was 48 hours that was the mission and then um the the captain the, the ceo really liked the position as far as the area of operations because it was a tactical advantage so they just left us there for for a whole month you know we only had shit for 48 hours so we would get like water mres all, all the equipment that we needed we would get it helo inserted they'd basically come with a with a little net and just drop it off in a field right there and then whenever we got an opportunity we would do a patrol all the way back up to the to the company uh, to the company fob it got to the point where there's Throwing, they were getting so close to the greenhouse because there was like an orchard there that they could have concealment with. So they would kind of go in through there and they'd get so close to the wall that um, they started throwing grenades over the wall. Um, you know, we, we inside of the greenhouse, it was a big ass house. It had like four corners. They had four basements and then rooms all over the top. So we had one of the bottom corner basements that was on the back side of the house. And the first time they threw a grenade, we weren't there because we set up an operate an observation post like kind of south of that position. It was all kind of connected. Um, so we would have like a squad go to the observation post for a few days and then two or three, two, I think it's three squads total in a platoon. So two squads would stay in the greenhouse. One would be at the OP. So that time that they threw the, the first grenade, we weren't there, but all the windows from that bunker or that little basement uh, room completely blew out and they got like into a habit of throwing grenades so motherfuckers started throw like marines started throwing grenades back like as soon as you started you heard like a clink 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 they'd start throwing them back you know like without warning it was like just motherfuckers throwing grenades over the walls um and um uh, you know um yeah there was a lot of uh small arms fire um you know, my squad leader got shot. He got shot in the trap around midway through June, like June 12th or June 13th. I remember the, the night before we went on that patrol, it was like we could feel it. it was like we could feel it, like someone's going to get shot or blown up tomorrow. He's basically giving us the order at night right before we got, we got right after we got off post, before we went to bed, just have our shit ready in the morning. And um, he's a great guy. He still is a great, great guy. Um, <clears throat> and um, he gave us the order. And we were going to go through this place called the Field of Dreams, 
everything that I did in that, on that deployment for the most part was on my feet. Like we were never on, on vehicles. We were always on our feet. There was no roads in that area to drive vehicles. It was like one road, but it mainly drove like little uh, motorcycles and shit. Um, so yeah, uh, he gave us the order and then he told us we're going to cross through the field of dreams. Basically, we're going to do a patrol from the greenhouse to the main fob. The main fob was called the shark's tooth. So I know it's called a shark's tooth because on the topographical map, it literally looks like a tooth. Um, and um, he told us we're going to go through this field called the field of dreams. And every time third, third platoon has gone through there, somebody gets fucked up, you know. So we already kind of knew like for sure tomorrow we're going to be in an engagement. And I remember, you know, we took off that morning. We found an ID in the wadi. We call the wadis. It's like these little river banks. Um, that's how they would irrigate their, their fields. Crossed through there, found a, an ID there. We blew it up, got it out of the way and kept on pushing. And, um, we kept pushing. And right as we, the first few people, he was like second or third in the movement. Um, we just hear a single shot, you know, we just hear a single shot, which you already know is a sniper. And um, next thing you know, my, my team leader's behind me and he, uh, my squad leader comes over the black gear, which is the black radios. I think they're called 153s. And he's like, hey, Martin, they shot me from the Southwest or something like that. They shot me from the Southwest, light him up. So he was wounded. They shot him, right? They shot him in the trap right here as a enemy sniper. And as soon as I heard that, like, he didn't tell me shit. I just got up and I just started, like, I had a saw. I had a squad automatic weapon, which is an M249. I just started shooting into the bushes. Um, I just let off, like, 100 rounds, you know. And then we started maneuvering to set up an L-shape LZ so that they could get a medevaced out of there. And I remember we had a dog handler. This kid was so terrified, bro. He didn't want to move. He literally was in the fetal position. And he didn't want to move, so everybody's just like grabbing him, like, get the fuck up, bitch, we gotta go, you know, like, just dude started freezing out there, you know, and it, which makes sense, you know, but, um, when you have somebody that's wounded and, you know, we still have to move forward and do what we have to do, so, um, yeah, I remember crossing my squad leader, he was already getting patched up by the corpsman, um, the doc hooked him up and he, it wasn't like, fatal right he it was still they controlled the bleeding and he was going to be okay and i remember crossing by him he's like i'm going to be back gonzo i'm going to be back i'll be back and um <clears throat> they got him into the helicopter and a few weeks later he came back you know he came back and he was back in the fight and um you know that means a lot dude that's crazy shit dude got shot by a sniper literally goes to camp leatherneck you know gets patched up and a few weeks later he's back out in the AO like getting after it dude like he's a hard ass motherfucker and um yeah a few dudes that got wounded you know um that month in particular it was just really heavy just mm. a lot of heavy gunfighting yeah yeah wow how long did you guys stay out there we stayed out there for the whole month of June mm. so um another time that like was pretty intense was um uh, June 26 like towards the back end of that Two squad leaders, uh, my squad was third squad. I was first platoon, third squad. Um, he had gotten wounded. I don't know if he was first or Blazy was first. The second squad leader, he got shot in the back too. He got like skimmed in the back. 
great guy too. He was a second squad leader. They got shot like back to back. Um, so the squad leaders were out of the fight and then the APL basically took that charge, my, which my, that was my team leader, Martin. Um, he was the APL. He became our squad leader. Do you think they identified them as being in a leadership position or was it I just think a so. coincidence? No, 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 no. I definitely think they did um, because they had, I think they're called 152s, the radios, the green gear. Mm -hmm. So those radios typically have a long ass antenna, you know? Um, and I think they could definitely distinguish like the leadership from the junior guys. Mm. And I feel like a lot of uh, a lot of what they did was definitely with an intention to take the leadership out. June 26 was another heavy one. Um, me and my one of my good buddies were up on the roof of the observation post. You know, the greenhouse, the way that it was set up to the south of the greenhouse, there was that orchard. So there's a lot of blind blind space. You can't really see through that orchard. So we set up the OP to cover the South. Does that make sense? And, um, <clears throat> you know, in the OP, we just had two posts. It was a 240 with the green gear. And then whoever was on the other side normally had a saw. And um, I was behind the 240 this particular day. And um, <clears throat> my buddy was behind a saw. And, you know, north of us was this other position called OP Southwest. They were closer to the river. The guys from third platoon were over there and they started shooting really early. As soon as we got on post, we got on post like at eight in the morning and we started hearing some small arms fire coming from SOP Southwest. And we heard over the radio that, you know, they, they had positive ID and they had identified these two dudes and they're running south. So they're probably going to pass through the greenhouse. And I told my boy like, hey, you know, if you see anybody running, just like keep a lookout, you know. Next thing you know, like I'm I'm watching my flanks over here. And my buddy just shoots off his saw probably like 10 minutes after I just told him this shit. And we, we saw like two, those probably the same two dudes running through the tree line. And, um, I get my, my 240 fixed on him and I, I shoot a burst at him. It was a long ass burst, probably like 20 rounds, but there's a family like in the field right in front of us. So we were literally shooting over their heads. And, um, I don't think we tagged them, but we definitely shot at them. And uh, shortly after that second squad, the guys that had just got the guys that had lost their squad leader a few weeks ago, they push out with their new squad leader APL, solid guy too. Um, and they're going to push out to go do a security patrol just to check out the environment there. Um, at that point, everybody kind of went away that was working in those fields. And if if you've been in combat, you kind of there's like a there's like a silence that comes before chaos. It's like really quiet. Everybody kind of goes away. And then you just get this feeling like it, something's about to pop off. And that's kind of the setting that, that, that was happening. <clears throat> These guys pull out the engineers in the front sweeping. My buddy Martuniak, Peter, second. And then third was a squad leader um, at the time, APL, Buddy Gross. And um, I'm talking to him. I'm kind of giving him uh, an orientation of what just happened a couple minutes ago. And he's like, yeah, for sure. Good to go, Gonzo. I'm on the roof. They're on the floor. And as he's like, give me the good to go up on the roof, he turns around to tell the guys behind him, like, the situation that I just told him. And as he turns around, all hell breaks loose. They, they It was a small, a short, a short ambush. They were probably, like, 25, 30 meters away. They were, like, right by that orchard that I talked about. There was, like, some buildings in the backside of it. And that's where they were fixed. And so that's what I'm talking about, right? Like that shit was planned, bro. 
know what I'm saying? Like how these guys run, hook and bait them, you know? Um, it was like a, a textbook L-shaped ambush, just like if we were doing an L-shaped ambush, you know? Um, and the L-shape became a U-shaped ambush, which was these guys were like in the dead zone of the ambush, you know? They were just getting fucked up. And Gross got hit in the back, you know? Um, he got shot in the back, like... I mean, I was on the roof, he, he just fell. So I thought he hit the prone position to start engaging back. I didn't think he was shot. Um, and then I, I like looked down, I'm like trying to observe everything, like what the fuck is happening? And there's like every fucking burst going off over here. My buddy's shooting his saw back over there. The guy's on the ground engaging back. And I'm like trying to look back down to see if gross is good. And I see him like tussling and like, tossing and turning and like you know he's bleeding i can see the blood coming out of his lower back and initially like my thought was like fuck i'm gonna jump down there with a 240 and just light these fools up but that would have been stupid you know it's not a tactical advantage not being on the roof the roof is definitely a tactical advantage so i just started shouting like hey gross is hey gross is hey corman up and then the corman started rushing up at that point i'm trying to fix a position to shoot back with the 240 get fire superiority and my buddy's like in the way because he's like right there where they're at. So I just tell him to get the fuck down and I just like let off like the longest burst that I think I ever let off. It was like 40 rounds, 30, 40 round burst just to gain that fire superiority, you know, and to like get them to tuck in while we kind of get this guy out. And um, that was, you know, the begin the very beginning of it after that, like. The guys on the ground were just, you know, fighting back and trying to get this this dude out of there. And they pushed him back into the, the building, the compound that we were at. And, um, you know, the doc is working on him. Um, the helicopter's already in route. And at that point, my whole squad had gotten up because they were resting. Everybody's got their own fighting positions, you know, um, a uh, dude that, you know, one of my good friends that passed away after those deployments, uh, he was the machine gunner attached to my squad. He grabbed his machine gun because that's his 240, and I grabbed my saw, and I went on one of the roofs and started just, you know, engaging back. And um, I remember my team leader, this was probably like 15 minutes into the fight, 15, 20 minutes in the fight. The helicopter was starting to get there, right? And... Um, <clears throat> My team leader, which was the squad leader at the time, he tells me, hey, get on that. I need you to get on that roof to provide cover to, the, I believe it was the east. Yeah, I believe it was the east um, to cover to the east or the west, whatever it was. And I threw my saw up there. I threw the, the drums that I had left. I had about 1,200 rounds. Each drum is 200 rounds. I had like six drums. At that point, I had maybe six, 800 left. And my buddy Caleb, he gives me a boosty, just like one of these here. I'm like heavy as shit and I remember putting my feet up there and my legs are shaking just from the adrenaline. At that point, I'm sure I was fucking scared, but there was no time to like process your fear. You know, it was just like, there's no time right now. We got to engage these motherfuckers and get gross out of here. You know, my legs are shaking and I'm like on the roof as soon as they saw me throw my shit up there, you know? So as soon as I get up there, I just remember like, just like hearing fucking bullets snap like right over my head. You know, it's a very distinct sound when you're getting shot at and when it's specifically you, right? And I'm just like, fuck, dude, I'm about to get fucking shot up here, dude. And I'm like making myself as small as I can. I'm already a small dude and I just like get behind my 240. And that's like one of the few times that I actually like saw the enemy, you know? Before we'd get in engagements, I never really saw like an actual target. 
that day I actually saw him and um, it was like two or three guys in a tree line about two, 300 meters. Um, I think it was my West and they were just moving from one tree to the next and just like engaging the fuck out of us. And I'm just like with, behind my 240, just like lighting the whole tree line up. And then the helicopter's like coming in. It's like crazy shit, you know? And I'm like, just like fixed in my position, just engaging these dudes. And um, everybody is, not just me. Like everybody's, cause there was dudes all over the place, like enemies all over. And the guys on the greenhouse are like laying, letting off laws, like the, the fucking, uh, the, it's not the AT4 AT or whatever. It's like a law. I forget what it stands for, but it's basically like a little rocket launcher thing. And um, yeah, man. And after that, they got gross on the medevac. Literally, they, they shot a UGL that almost took the helicopter down. UGL is what the enemy has. It's our equivalent to our 40 mic mic under barrel grenade launcher. I think it stands for it. Um, and uh, after that, it, that probably lasted, I want to say about, it felt like forever, but I think it, like realistically, I think that whole engagement maybe lasted 45 minutes to an hour from when it started to the very end. And I remember just feeling like exhausted. We had this shit called, uh, I forget what, it, what the gear was called, but it was like this, uh, it was this, this technology that you could basically interfere with their radios. Mm. And uh, supposedly that day, um, we killed, uh, I think it was like six or seven of, of them that were, uh, that, were, that were killed. Oh, you were, you were intercepting their transmission? Yeah, their stuff? transmission. I think it was called the Wolf or some shit mm. like that. I forget. It's like this, this gear that like intercepts their, their radio waves and shit. And I mean, dude, the helicopters, when they were coming in, they were using the mini guns to light these fools up too. Like it wasn't just us. Like when the you know when when the helicopter comes in to do a medevac, it typically comes in, t in two. So the one that actually lands and the one that's circling doing security, that motherfucker was lighting them up too. So I'm not saying it was us or just us. The the fucking dudes in the helicopter were getting some too. And my 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 squad leader at the time, uh, Martin too. He called uh he called for fire. Like he had uh, a helicopter come through and do a gun run. So like there was some crazy shit that happened outside of what I was doing. You know that other other leadership just responded in the right way yeah there's another time i got shot at by a sniper that i knew like he was definitely trying to take me out i got shot at by a sniper twice actually um one of the times was like really early on in june um i remember my buddy caleb started shooting where i was facing which was towards the same way that i just said right now um, and I remember uh, telling him, like, what the fuck are you shooting at? He's like, there was a dude with a rifle. And then I told my, my squad leader if he could bring the binos, the, to the binoculars. And as he, I got up to, because he was handing them to me from the greenhouse, and I'm on the roof. And as I get up, um, and I'm, like, grabbing the binos, a shot comes in, a single shot comes in, and it hits, like, that top lever of the greenhouse concrete. And I remember like the bullet, the concrete that the bullet broke, it like splashed me in the face, you know? Like really close times. Um, another time on that same roof on the other side, got shot up by a sniper team, let off a lot of rounds with the 240 and called for fire with mortars from the FOB. Um, those are some of the ones that just stick out the most, you know? Um, and then at the very end of it, we just broke down that entire 
that's kind of one of the things that was just really depressing, you know. Um, we fought for however long, I think it was like 30 days or whatever, June 1st to through the end of June. And then we just got told, hey, break everything down and bring it back into the FOB. Like, we're, we're not going to continue operations down there. So it just sucked because it's like so many dudes got shot there. So many dudes got blown up in, to fight for that position. And now we're just kind of giving it away because I believe it was going to be the British Marines that were going to replace us. They didn't have enough manpower to hold all the p different positions that our battalion had. So then that's when we kind of started winding things in. Um, Fourth of July was another heavy one. We got ambushed. And it was just fucked up because we got ambushed and my, my, my saw kept jamming. You know, Ugh. that's like the worst feeling in the world, dude, when you're like literally getting shot at and um, your shit's not working. You know, like it just, it would just go do that two, three round shit, like and click and click. And I'm like, you motherfucker, you know? Dude, I was, it was so fucking depressing. I remember, and it was fucking 4th of July, you know, 2011. As soon as we, thank God nobody got hurt during that ambush. As soon as we came back in, I like literally didn't even clear my saw. Like, you know, you're supposed to clear this, go back into the, your AO or your fob. I like grabbed the whole thing and I threw the whole fucking saw against the wall in front of everybody, bro. I got my ass shoot out and I'm like, I don't ever want to go out there with that fucking machine, with that saw. Like, I need a new weapon. Like, I, I'm not, I'm down to carry the saw. I just need one that works, you right, know? Right. And it would work when it, when it would want to almost, you know, it had its own kind of fucking personality, if you will. But uh, that time it was definitely jamming on me pretty It's like a bad fucking dream, right? You're in a <laughs> dream and you can't fucking shoot back. Yeah, like, dude, it was oh. fucking terrible. So those yeah. are some of those stories that from that deployment that just stand out the most, you know, um, a lot of fun too, you know, not just combat shit. Like, you know, those two, three stories that like are always going to be ingrained in my head, you know, because obviously there some crazy experiences, but there was also a lot of downtime, a lot of fucking around, you know, um, the sound of combat just became so regular that I remember, um, it wasn't us in direct combat, but maybe other platoons or other, uh, even other companies like Kilo Company was getting some too. Uh, but it was close enough to where we could hear it, you know? And like, like, I don't know, man, I don't know if I'm fucking just weird or whatever, but you would almost like, like that shit, you know? It's just like, like, and then like a fucking, I don't know, some artillery being dropped. I got videos of some of this shit, just like us, like doing fucking a workout, and then in the background you can hear some fucking firefights, yeah. which is crazy, you know? Because like then you come back home and it's like it's like fucking night and day. You're like, you know, you hear fucking rounds going off and it's like regular to you, um, and then like you just have to like let all that shit go and just you know be a regular dude, I guess. Yeah. You know? So I went on another deployment after that one that I just told you about. It was in 2013. I went to a spot called Musakela. I was a squad leader at the time. And um, <clears throat> that one, we didn't do a lot of combat operations. We were mainly sending a lot of posts, kind of drawing down from, you know, the combat operations. But we did do a lot of medevac um, for the ANA, the Afghan National Army. But my point with bringing that up is that I got back from that deployment in October of 2013 and I was, uh, I took terminal to get out of the Marine Corps in December. So I literally got back from my second deployment early on in October 
and then um, literally did, had like November the ball, uh, the Marine Corps ball. And like, I remember the ball being like one of the last things that I did. I, that was like the last time I ever wore the uniform. You know, for me, the transition, I didn't realize that I had it, it like any, any issues because everything was going pretty smooth. I mean, I was drinking a lot. Um, I started smoking weed to go to sleep and shit. And it was just like shit that, that I thought was regular for a college kid, right? Like partying, um, and then going to class and stuff. But then I, I kind of took that shit overboard. And then I would start getting into proms when I was out drinking, trying to start fights, um, talking a lot of shit, you know, um, just being belligerent. And, um, in 2016, I got in trouble with the police. Shortly after that, my buddy died by suicide. The same guy that was a machine gunner attached to my first squat, to my first deployment. Um, he died by suicide in April of 2016. So all these things started like really, really heavy shit started happening that I kind of had, had to like really put a break and kind of take a step back and like acknowledge like what's going on, you know, like let me get a grip. And I think it was that, that my buddy taking his life, um, dying by suicide, it was like the first, I guess the first time that I had taken a break since I was a child to like really self-assess and like look internally and like what the fuck is going on with my personal life. And um, dude, I felt like shit, man. I felt so depressed. I felt so sad. I had like survivor's guilt because I wish I would have hit him up. I wish I would have said something. <clears throat> and um, and basically, you know, uh, because of that, I I had some old contact that I had picked up during one of the events at the community college, and he was a dude that was uh, working at the Veterans Center in Gardena. And that's like the only business card that I had for anyone affiliated with any sort of benefits or any VSOs, anything like that, that could help you get therapy or any of that other stuff. And um, I remember when my boy died by suicide, I got a call like at three in the morning, somebody told me, and I just felt fucking devastated. Um, so I started looking for that number because I'm like, fuck, I need help. Like, like I'm, I'm feeling bad now too, like I'm in a bad spot. And I'm looking for this dude's card. I found it and I gave him a call. I'm like crying and shit. I'm like, dude, I need help. Like I'm, I'm struggling, you know, with my mental health. And, um, and he hooked me up, man. He, he set me up with a therapist. He helped me get all, all the stuff in order to start applying for some of my other benefits. And then, um, I started seeing a therapist. Um, that first therapist kind of introduced me to meditation. He uh, introduced me to an app called Insight Timer. I remember like he asked me like, hey, Nimardo, when was the last time that you were happy? And I couldn't, I couldn't answer that question to save my life. You know, it was like, dude, I don't know when the fuck the last time I was happy, you know? Um, so he's like, hey, put these headphones on and listen to this. And I put the headphones on. He told me, close my eyes, put your um, hands up again, like upwards on your lap and just close your eyes and listen. And I, I just followed instructions and it was a one minute meditation, dude. And it felt like 10, 15 minutes passed by and I felt so at ease and at peace. I hadn't felt that in a long, long time. And I was like, damn, what was that? He's like, that's meditation.
you know, it was just like nature sounds or like the rain, rainforest sound, mm. but it was so calming and I hadn't been, I hadn't felt that ever. It felt like, and then I kept on showing up to therapy. Um, I realized that like talking about this shit really helped, you know, um, and then, uh, like a year after that, he had to go continue his job, but he got promoted to another place and I got introduced to a different therapist. I was kind of upset about that, but she ended up being just phenomenal. You know, um, that lady introduced me to another organization that teaches veterans meditation called Project Welcome Home Troops. She, she invited me to one of their courses that they were going to have there at the vet center. The first time that I went through it, dude, I had flashbacks of my first deployment. That scene that I told you where I'm shooting at those dudes on the tree line, I had flashbacks of that. I had flashbacks of some childhood trauma. And then um, it's just, I don't know how to explain it. You know, if, if, you've ever, if you ever go through that course or if anybody ever, you know, goes through that course, I think they'll understand. But it was, it, for lack of better terms, it was like an out-of-body experience, you know, Um it was really intense meditation, meditative state, and um, but in a good way, right? Because a lot of this shit's coming up to leave your body. It's uh, there's a book called um, I think it's called The Body Remembers or something like that. It's like a book based on how trauma gets stuck in different parts of your body, and essentially that's kind of what I experienced. That when I was having that experience in my med- in that meditation course, these things were coming up to get out of my spirit, get out, get out, get off of me, you know? And, um, you know, I, I just felt so much better when I finished that five day meditation course, I felt so much better. I mean, not to say like I was healed or anything. Right. But I just felt like I have a tool now to combat against this shit, you know, to combat against my PTSD, my depression, whatever. And I volunteered. I asked the, the gentleman if I could volunteer for them. And then they started kind of setting up a system to have better facilitators. Went through the course a few more times throughout the years. And then I became a veteran facilitator with them. I've held and hosted some of my own workshops for other veterans and for their families. And uh, that's just one big part of one of the many things that I do, you know. We have our own nonprofit that we're looking to establish here in Long Beach called People of the Earth as well. Mm. Um, People of the Earth is it's a local community-based organization that advocates for uh, environmental stewardship and mental health resilience as well. Um, so I'm big on those two components because when I got out, I also went on a lot of hikes, a lot of outdoor activities, and I realized that that helps a lot as well. Yeah. Um, you know, meditation, obviously I just spoke on that. Um, so mental health is a big component of, of mental health as well. Yeah. Right on, man. Um, we're going to wrap it up. Um, any last words? Yeah, man. I think, uh, you know, for any veterans, for anybody that might be watching this, I think the idea is something that I've said in the past is just, you know, become resourceful, man. You know, use your resources, connect with other veterans that are up to cool shit. Um, connect with other organizations. You know, um, I'm also, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but I guess, uh, we defy foundation. They help veterans that, you know, um, that want to get into jujitsu, they can pay for a full years of your jujitsu uh, classes. Uh, there's another one called Save the Brave. Um, there's just so many different uh, nonprofits that are available in the community that you know um, that really want to help. That want to help veterans. That want to help you know people. But you know, I, I realize that you have to advocate for yourself. You have to you know show up. You have to shake hands. You have to meet new people. 
And I think when you first get out, you know, those are things that you don't really want to do, right? Because you're used to, you know, getting your orders and following through with whatever you get told to do. It's uh, not a lot of, hey, let me just go take my initiative and go to this place and meet this person. Um, so I think, you know, if maybe more veterans could, you know, just put themselves out there like that and go meet new people, I think it could really help them with their mental health, with their transition, and ultimately, you know, to make those connections for careers and all the other different things that they want to do. Yeah. Right on, brother. Um, thank you for uh, being vulnerable and taking a seat and sharing, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me, man. Appreciate it. Semper Fi. Yes, sir. Yeah. I got bad thoughts that make my mind scared. Hold me hostage and they don't fight fair. Who gon' pray for me and wipe on my tears? Who gon' save me if you not right here? Move this darkness and make my sight clear. Take me away cause I don't like here. Ghost of my past, they feeling the night air. Wake me up, I'm trapped in my nightmares.